0: This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning. Good morning. Did you like that part about coloring on the wall? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't you like what it said after that? It's just a phase, right? Yeah, that's awesome. Hey, a shout out to those of you who are brand new. Uh, my name is Ron. I'm on the teaching staff here at New Life and Uh, Since this is your first Sunday here, uh, I just want to say welcome and a shout out to those of you who are watching online. I know we have a growing audience of people watching online, so uh, good morning to you. It is Super Bowl Sunday, and Diva got you all amped up and ready for that. You know, I figure there are Patriots fans, there are Rams fans, and there are Patriot haters, so I figure that's how that goes, all right? The Rams haven't done enough to be hated yet, so there you go. And no offense to the Rams fans. Yeah, I get booed off the stage here in a minute. Um, I want to say this: twenty-one years ago, this morning. Twenty-one years ago, this morning. Two hundred and forty-five people streamed through the doors of of the multipurpose room at Sonoma Mountain Elementary for the grand opening of New Life. How about that? Yes, indeed. It's been an amazing 21 years. So, um, if you're a praying person when you get ready to pray today, would you please take a moment and just be grateful? And let's do that right now. God, we're grateful for 21 years of, of you changing people's lives, of you giving hope where there was no hope, of you giving victory where there was only defeat, of you giving friendship where there was only loneliness, of you giving freedom where there was addiction. God, we're just so grateful, and we ask that you would give us 21 more years and beyond that of of just tapping into you and learning to experience life to the full because we're tapped into you, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Everybody said Amen. 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 I am very excited to get to visit with you this morning. Because I'm going to get to teach you a principle out of God's Word, but I'm also going to be sort of beginning to just... You ever turn the oven light on when you're baking something just to peek in the oven, right? We're, we're just going to do that. We're not going to taste it yet. That's coming. Diva said, February 24, you're not going to want to miss that. I'll remind you of that later. But today, we're going to begin to pull back the curtain on the stuff that we are going to be doing over this coming year with the coming generation. So this is the beginning of a four-week series, and we're going to talk about paradigms. That's how we view things, specifically how we view the next generation. We're going to talk about values. In other words, where does that fit in our scale of priorities as a church? And we're going to talk about plans. What do we intend to do with this? So. When we talk about a paradigm, here's our brand new paradigm, and would you be courageous enough to read it out loud with me, even if you don't believe it, okay? If you don't believe it, don't read it, all right? I won't make you lie at church, all right? But I do want us to read it together if you think you can agree with this. Here we go. Here we go. It's everyone's responsibility to love and empower The next generation. There are three words that are underlined in there everyone's. That means you and me. I'll talk to you in a minute about what that looks like. And it's our responsibility not to correct, it's our responsibility to love and empower the next generation. So that's our new paradigm, and we will refer to that often, not just this morning, but throughout this entire teaching series, and not just during the teaching series. That's a paradigm for our church you'll hear us refer to that often. Our new priority, our next-gen strategies, they're going to be a principal emphasis in our church. Uh, I don't have time to get into it today, but there are four things principally that we do, and one of them is next-gen strategies, and our new plan is we're gonna structure our resources, think staff, think volunteers, and think money, and adapt our campus around the phase project which I'm surrounded by this morning and I'll be talking to you about in a few minutes. Those are big changes. They are great changes and they are going to be so fun to walk out as we go through this. Now, if I could just have a moment of self-confession and I realize before I show you this next slide, I realize that there are some of you, several of you, that you are shining examples of the opposite of this. You're phenomenal people. You are finding ways to invest your life in in children and young people and students that don't live in your home, that you didn't give birth to, that you're not even related to. But for the rest of us, this is sort of our default paradigm. Children belong to parents and whatever I do with or for them is a bonus, Can I tell you that's the paradigm we actually want to correct? So in this whole teaching that I'm going to give you today and that we're going to be giving you in the next four weeks, if you could, please don't think family, think village. Got it? Please don't think family, think village. Because literally, it takes all of us to actually invest in the coming generation and to invest love and empowerment in them so it's not just a bonus. So, how do we change that paradigm? Well, I want to give us a couple of realities that might help us, especially those of us who don't have children living in our home, okay? And the first is this, we all have kids in our lives. Every one of us do. Yeah, no one lives isolated and insulated from children. We all have them in our lives, and last Sunday we did some we did child dedication and we Dedicated 19 kids. How cool is that? Yes. So I got a hold of somebody and I said, hey, give me some of those pictures that were playing in the lobby because I just want you to look into the eyes of these kids and have them represent for you what we're talking about. Because as Angela talked to us last week, she was wearing a t-shirt and it said, unlimited opportunities, right? So take a look at this. You know, there are advantages to my hair, right? I never have a good day, but I never have a bad one either, all right? So there there you go, all right? Look at this little guy, what a cutie. No shortage of personality there, I'm sure, right? Yeah, so cute. I don't know who said what to her, but I don't think she's buying it. Look at this guy. Unlimited possibilities. Take a look at this guy. Does that picture look a little different from the others? You are sharp. That's me at six months of age. Now, I'm going to tell you in a little bit why I included that picture. so the reality is, we all have kids in our lives. Here's the second reality. Because we care, we actually want to have influence. And so this morning is going to be all about influence. How can we, the village, have significant and wonderful influence in the lives of the students and children in our world? Because we, because we care we all want to have them. Here's the teaching in a nutshell. My best chance to have influence is to show up over and over again. And there's a reason for that. And here's, here's another one of these realities. Someone kept showing up for us. You realize that? Somebody did. I want you to think for a minute. I didn't put a, a picture in that frame because I want you, if you would take the next few minutes and just think of someone who had great influence in your life who was not your mom or your dad or your aunt or your uncle or your grandparents. Virtually everyone in our room. You could put more than one picture more than one person in that frame. You know that little kid, me at six months it was a couple, Lloyd and Gladys Ballard. They were both students in a Bible college in my hometown, and they were my principal babysitters when I was a tiny preschool kid, and I can still remember a multicolored hand-sewn goose, stuffed goose, that I took my naps with that I got from Lloyd and Gladys Ballard. I remember another lady. Kathy Hansen was her name. She was also a student in that same Bible college. And I remember one Sunday morning, we pulled up in front of the dorm where she was living to give her a ride to church because she was going to teach the class that I was going to be in at church. She was running a little late that morning. And again, I was like three. And I can remember her running out of the dorm And hopping into the car right beside me, I was sitting in the middle of the back seat, and she hadn't had any breakfast yet, and she reached in her purse, and she pulled out a very delicious-looking banana. Now, I had already had breakfast. And my parents had trained me, you never ask an adult for something they have. So I knew not to do that but this might have been my parents' first sort of forewarning that I might turn out to be a pastor because pastors have ways of tying into lessons in order to get what they want, right? (laughs) So I took a look at her banana. I looked up at her, and I said, we always share. (laughs) And just in case she missed it, I said, even bananas. And I got a bite. (laughs) I was just so grateful for her influence in my life. I remember a teacher, Mr. Traxler, who's my fifth grade teacher. It was in his class that I decided to be a lifelong learner. I don't remember really enjoying school prior to that. But I remember in his class, I became a lifelong learner. And from that day on, I learned everything I could learn about anything. I remember a junior high math teacher. By the way, if there's any junior high teachers in here, you deserve a gold medal. Yeah. Imagine this. A junior high math teacher who perennially was voted by the students the best teacher in our school. Yeah, Mr. Newell. I remember a Bible college professor, Leif Culver, who took me aside one day and he said, Ron, I believe in you. I see that someday God is going to do some wonderful things through you. And I just want you to know whatever he does through you, I will be in the background cheering you on. You know, somebody showed up for us. You could all come up here and tell stories. And you'd probably tear up like I just did. Somebody showed up for us. Here's what we know about that. We know that anyone who showed up for us and had real influence in our lives, we know this, that the influence they had was earned through relationship. It wasn't, it wasn't earned behind a lectern. It wasn't earned by them correcting us. I've never once thought, you know, that person, I'm so grateful for them because they were always telling me what I was doing wrong. No, it, it was the, the people who took the time to build a relationship with me, even if they were a teacher in the fifth grade, that would never know what I would do with my life. And I would never know what he went on to do with his. I never saw him again after I left grade school. Yeah, but it was through relationship. I want to tell you a story from from Scripture about a guy who had a wonderful influence on a group of people he had never personally met. And I want to share with you how it happened. Now, this guy was from the ancient nation of Israel and his country had been conquered by the Babylonians and they had totally destroyed the capital city. I mean, they took a battering ram and they beat down the walls. They took they took. A fire and, and lit the gates of that city on fire so that it looked like a dump heap when they left and they took all of the families that survived the war and they deported them 900 miles to the city of Babylon where they became servants in the homes and and in the fields and a few became servants in the palace of the king. The guy's name was Nehemiah, and Nehemiah had never seen his homeland. He was actually born in Babylon, in a foreign country. And through a series of circumstances, as he was growing up, somehow he was in the right place at the right time and had the right giftings, he became the wine server for the king. Now, that sounds pretty lofty, and there certainly were some perks that went with that, but here's why the king had a wine server. Because the deal was, whatever the king drank and whatever the king ate, you had to stand there in the presence of the king, and you had to pour it, and then you had to drink, you had to pour it in yours and pour some in his, and you had to drink yours, and if you didn't die, the king would drink. But if you did, and someone had slipped poison in there, well, then you died, but the king didn't. That was his job. One day, he got some bad news. A friend of his had come those 900 miles from from his homeland that he had never seen, and it's capital city, Jerusalem. And he had traveled to Babylon and he took Nehemiah's side and Nehemiah said, hey, how's Jerusalem? And his buddy said, Oh, it's a dump. It's a dump. Now, you know what? Nehemiah had never been there. He'd never seen the town. He'd never seen any of the people. You know what he could have said? Oh, that's too bad. Not my my responsibility. But he got a tug in his heart from God. And you know what? He decided that he could be part of the village that actually changed that situation. So he goes into the king, and this is what he says to the king. If it please the king, and if the king thinks well of me, send me. Can I just stop there? Wouldn't it be wonderful if all the adults in every child's life were to pray that one simple prayer send me to this child let me help let me come alongside those parents and if every parent said send me make me a better parent oh yeah and let me help my good friends who have kids my same age so that we can partner together Nehemiah said, send me to Judah, to the city where my family is buried, so that I can rebuild it. Listen, this is where we learn the first lesson of influence. Because influence has to be earned. And here it is. Influence is earned when we show up by making sacrifices. you think this was easy? Nehemiah was living in the palace of the king. That was one of the perks. He ate the same food that the king ate every meal. That's pretty good, right? He drank the same wine that the king drank every single meal. Nehemiah was raised in a slave's home, but he was living in the palace. And he says to the king, send me. You know how many years he was gone? It would be 12 years before he ever returned to the palace. Wow. Wow. Listen to this. Real influence requires real sacrifice. There's no way to deeply influence anyone, child or adult, without real sacrifice. So, Nehemiah goes back. He gets to the city of Jerusalem because the king says, Yeah, I'll go. He gets to the city of Jerusalem. He does a tour. And you know what? He came back with a a three-word summary. It's a dump. Everything he had heard was true. So Nehemiah gathers his fellow countrymen and women that he's never seen, doesn't know any of them. And here's the message he gives. Face it, we're in a bad way here. Thank you, Nehemiah. I hadn't noticed. They all knew. He went on, Jerusalem is a wreck. Its gates are burned up. Then he says, come, let's build it. Let's do something about this. Not, I'll be in charge. I'll tell all of you what to do. He said, come. It's a together thing. Let's build the wall of Jerusalem and not live with this dis." grace any longer. I told them, notice how he begins to sow the seeds of hope in them. He says, we can do this. And he goes on to say, I told them how God was supporting me. And I told them how the king was backing me up. You know, when Nehemiah went in to see the king, you know what the king said? He said, Nehemiah, I'm not only going to send you, I'm going to send a letter with you. And I'm going to send a letter that goes to the head of the forest division in your homeland, and I'm going to send a letter to, to the person who supervises the quarry in your homeland, and I'm going to give you unlimited stone, and I'm going to give you unlimited timber. Now, what else do you need? Pretty cool. Because influence is earned when we show up by giving love and hope. People Nehemiah had never seen And yet he wanted to make a difference in their lives. So they all rally around and he puts together the plan and they start to to clear out the rubble and they start rebuilding the wall and some real enemies show up. And by the way, if you're doing anything worthwhile, you will have enemies. Have you noticed that? An old pastor said this to me when I was a kid, you know, If you and Satan never run into each other, it probably means you're going the same direction. (laughs) Yeah. Real enemies. So these enemies put together a small army and their intent was to come and kill the people who were working to rebuild the city wall. I'd say that's a serious enemy. So you know what? Nehemiah did. Look at this. I placed all the people by clans. Isn't that interesting? Where? In the gaps. This is the places where they were most vulnerable with their weapons. And I said to everyone, do not be afraid of your enemies. And friends, if there's any message we would want to give as a church to every family in this room or anyone who's listening right now or who would ever listen To what we're talking about this morning, if there's any message we would give, it would be this. You don't have to be afraid as you parent your children. Yeah, I know. There are real forces at work that make it difficult to raise children. Have you noticed that? Of course you have. Yeah. There are real enemies to family out there. There are real enemies to children growing up with solid foundations of belief and of of character and a solid foundation of what the future could look like. But you and I don't have to be afraid, especially if we will be a village to the families who have children. He goes on to say this. Put your minds on God and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. I just want to say something on behalf of our entire staff. We believe without reservation that every child is worth fighting for. Do you believe that? Every kid is worth fighting for. Here's the here's lesson number three. Influence is earned when we show up by taking risks. Wow. You know, these people that Nehemiah put in the gaps, these clans, <laughs> they were not soldiers. They were people like you and me. And, and, and they were people that they rounded up as many swords as they could. And they said, here, take this thing. And they were like, whoa, what do I do with this? They took risks. Can I share with you, if we're going to be a village to the children of our world, that you and I are going to have to take some risks, real risks? It means that you and I are going to have to learn to spot the gaps, the places of vulnerability in the children's lives that are in our world, and we're going to have to learn how to stand in that gap for them. For many of us, it's going to mean getting out of our comfort zone. For many of us, it's going to mean getting down on a child's level. For many of us, it's going to mean volunteering in one of the classrooms to to lead a small group of children in in the most wonderful way. And many of us are going to go, I've never done that before. Well, good, you can learn. That's the deal. It's going to mean influence always requires us to take real risks. Now, here's my favorite part of the story. When our enemies learned we were aware of their plans, huh, they didn't even attack, they went home. And we were able to return to our work on the wall. The big takeaway is this when the people stood in the gaps, the enemy didn't attack. It was as if something happened and they couldn't move forward. And I just want to share this with our entire church. And that is if you and I will be the village and we will stand in the gap for the children in our world and we will stand in the gap for the parents who are doing their dead level best to raise those kids. If you and I will stand in the gap, then the enemy will will have very little power over our kids. Because that's what influence does. So this is where we started. One voice. You walked right by the banners when you came in, right? You probably noticed them. One voice. This is what makes a village. One voice. Where we learn to look at the coming generation with the same heart of love and the same desire to influence them. And as it says around it, we can do more together. So how does that work? Well, today, I'm just going to take the lid off a thing that we call the phase project. And this is one of the ways that you can stand in the gap. Now, I'm surrounded by materials, and please feel free when we are done to come up and look at them and leaf through them. You'll find them very helpful. So I'm going to give you four little truths that that will just sort of pique your interest. Did you know that a preschooler takes 75 more steps per minute than the average adult? You ever see a parent dragging a little preschooler along and the kid's, he's going as fast as he can go. And at some point he says, pick me up. And we think he's lazy. No, if you've just walked three minutes, that little kid has taken 225 more steps than you have. Yeah, it's important to know the phase that kids are in. Did you know that beginning in the second grade, Girls thrive with girls and boys thrive with boys. In, in preschool, kindergarten, and first grade, they're pretty much oblivious to that stuff. But by the second grade, the research has conclusively shown that when you put girls with girls, they thrive, and boys with boys, they thrive better than they do when you keep them together all the time. Huh. Did you know Are you ready for this? Middle schoolers lose one-third of their cerebral cortex. I'll vote for that, right? (laughs) By the way, no offense to any middle schoolers here. This is a thing called pruning. This is why parents of middle schoolers say, how many times do I have to tell you? (laughs) You know this? Yeah, but they just lost their mind. Literally. Literally. This is why it's important for you and me. If we're going to be a village around kids, we have to know what's going on in their world. What what does the cerebral cortex, what does it actually do? Are you ready? It's the part of your brain that's in charge of emotional expression. It's the part of your brain that's in charge of comprehension. It's the part of your brain that's in charge of memory. How many times do I have to tell you? As many as it takes, apparently. It's the part of their brain that's in charge of problem solving. And here's one I know you can all relate to. If you've ever had a middle school or junior high student in your home, it's the part of their brain that's in charge of communication. Did you know that the world of high schoolers is very different than when you were in high school? Can can I tell you, this is the one that sneaks up on us? Because for most of us, our preschool years are pretty fuzzy, if we got anything there. Our grade school years are eh, still pretty fuzzy. Junior high gets a little better. But high school, we all remember what it was like to be in high school. And the problem is, we think we know what our high schoolers are going through because we can remember our high school years. At best, at best, you remember what it was like to be in high school 18 years ago. In my case, I remember what it was like to be in high school 50 years ago. Can I tell you that the world that your high schoolers are in today, any high schooler in your life, if you're a parent or if you're an adult that's been out of high school more than 10 or 12 years, no internet, no Facebook, no Instagram, none of that, I know, how did did we live? If you go back a few more years, no cell phones. If you go back a few more years, no video games. Can I just share with you, if you have a high schooler in your life, please don't assume that you know what it's like to be there. Now, I want to tell you what a phase is and why it's so important. A phase is a time frame in a kid's life when we can leverage distinctive opportunities to influence their future. Wow. It's a time frame. There's a couple things you need to remember. The first one is this. It's just a phase. I say this for hope, for all of you who are frustrated with whatever kids are in your world. An old pastor said to me one time, and he read out of the King James He said the the four most important words in the Bible are these. It came to pass. (laughs) It came and it's going to pass, right? Yeah. It's just a phase, okay? So don't have a heart attack over it. Don't lose your character over it. Don't alienate a kid in your world because it's just a phase. But, so don't miss it. Because there are very unique things that in that phase of a child's life that they are wide open to learning. And if you miss it, it's going to be way harder for them to get it later. Does that make sense? Yeah. So as a church, we are committed to giving tools and opportunities for every single person to play a role, a significant role, in loving and empowering the coming generation. Are you on board with that? Absolutely. That's who we are. That's that's who God has called us to be. I want to give us three action steps, and then I'll get you out of here. And the first one is this. Come to the community update. It's on what day? The 24th of February. Here's the time. Are you ready? Two o'clock. Ready? Ready? two o'clock. So I'm giving you permission right now to get out your phone and to reserve that time. All right. Pastor said you could do that, all right? You can get out your phone. Secondly, begin to pray about whatever role. Listen, we're going to lay out a whole bunch of stuff and we got a cool chart that will help you. And you're going to learn all about that later. But we need graphic artists that will work in our next gen strategies. We need people who know how to run budgets To work in our next-gen strategies, virtually any skill that you have, there will be a way for us to put it to work in such a way that it actually helps the coming generation. And number three, you're not going to want to miss any one of these. Next week, we're going to talk about how to be intentional. And I'll have a couple of props up here and so forth. I just want to close with, where did it go? Yeah, would you, Austin, would you hand that to me, please? I lost my marbles. <laughs> Some of you are saying, I've known that for a long time, right? 936 marbles in this jar. That's one for every week in a child's life from birth till they graduate from high school you know what? If you have a senior in high school, you don't have enough marbles left to cover even the bottom of this jar. My apologies to any of you who have seniors because that's going to scare you to death. Right? 936 weeks. Let's make sure we use them all. Let's pray. God... Thank you for the children in our world. Thank you that there were loving adults who showed up in our world and made such a difference. Thank you that you are leading our church to make this a really high priority. And God, would you help us to to just be a church that's known in our community that if you want to help with, with children, if you want to help with students, if you want people who will rally around and be their safety net, if, if, if you want training and what to do, well, then you just go there because it's a high, high priority. Thank you, Jesus, that when people wanted to shoo off the kids, that you said, no, no, bring those kids here. And you took them in your lap and you blessed them. Would you help us to be a community of people, a village that blesses people daily? That's our prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, thank you. God bless you. Have a great week. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.